Oh, well, it's wonderful to be together. And we just have this great opportunity to reach into God's Word again for a few moments. So over the course of the last few weeks, we've been looking at what is called the Lord's Prayer in many of our Bibles. But as we've helpfully seen, it also can be called Disciples' Prayer. And so we're, 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 heading, we're in Luke chapter 11, the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. And to refresh our memories, in Luke's Gospel chapter 1, uh, sorry, ver, ver, chapter 11, verse 1 to 4 is the core of the prayer. One of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And we read, let's read the verses as a reminder. So Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Craig raised the question as to why do we pray? And there's a few reminders of the importance of prayer individually, because individually as we pray, it builds that relation, our relationship with God, doesn't it? It deepens our conviction as to the truth of who God is, and it forms our character. You know, it helps us to get closer to God, doesn't it? We begin to understand God's will more deeply, or it gives us allows us to be centered that God is the center of the universe. So prayer is a gift from God, isn't it? There's just a few thoughts there. But communal prayer is also important. It's vital, as we have been learning, to the health of the church. Praying together uniquely binds us as one body and reminds us that we are one body in Christ. It helps us to collectively bring confession yeah, we're to be on our knees, aren't we, as to who and what we are, and keep ourselves humble before God. But it also sets us in expectation, doesn't it? God's going to do something. We want to know what that is, and we want to be aligned with that. We want to move in step with Him. So collective prayer helps us with that, and I think it's a wonderful opportunity. And I, I recognize not everyone is comfortable with public prayer like that. We can do it in triplets. We can do it with one-to-one. -one. We can come together. There's great opportunity. But it's interesting that Jesus also expects us to pray. And I think that's the force of what we're learning here. And so finally, before we move, move, we move to the next passage, we are reminded that this passage is not, it's not a prescriptive way of praying. Although there's value of reading the words together as we did, but rather the passage is a key set of themes, isn't it? God's interests are first. His kingdom is our priority. He is to be hallowed because He is holy. He is set apart and we're to reverence Him with awe and wonder. Without reference to God, an acknowledgement that he is the source of all, all of life's values will never be measured properly. If we deny God, everything of value is immediately devalued. And what is profane, godless, comes to the fore and life itself becomes cheap. You know, we've prayed about the Russian and the Ukrainian war, all those lives lost. 
It's heartbreaking. But we have a culture around us that brings ideologies that remove the uniqueness of who we are as created individuals. And it's not to say that we're not compassionate and loving and caring when various different things are going on, but these ideologies are changing that. These ideologies undermine the concept of family, the wonder of God's creation of family in a loving environment where we're nurtured and cherished. That pressure is out there. But that's what happens when we deny God. Life becomes cheap. So second, God's kingdom is at the heart of his purposes, a kingdom where Christ reigns supreme, where justice and equity and where his people, the believers in the Lord Jesus, are at perfect rest in his presence as they worship and delight in him. God must always have the first place in all things. And so having considered that in, the, in a prayer, then we can look at three things for our own requests. Our physical needs, our daily bread, our moral needs, forgiveness from sin and deliverance from temptation, our spiritual needs. This is what, deals with, what it deals with in, in the next section, but first of all, which, which, which first of all is the gift of the Holy Spirit. So those first four verses, as Craig has taken us through over the last two weeks, that's kind of embodied in there. So now we can go into the next section. Persistence in prayer. Ask, knock. Knock, ask, and seek. So now we come to our passage for today, which is Luke chapter 11, and we'll read verses 5 through 13. And he said to him, I'm reading from the ESV, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence or persistence, the man's persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I would tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. What, the father, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, instead of a fish, will give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, and know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And that is the end of the Lord's teaching in this passage on prayer. So as a reminder, the teaching, this line of teaching from the Lord Jesus is all within the context of the kingdom being present. So Christ is here. The kingdom of God now is, the Lord Jesus says. But it's also what is to come when Christ returns. So that's kind of the background context. David Goodman of this section writes, If life's necessity is to let the Lord speak to us, its second necessity is surely that we should speak to the Lord. We must pray. Life's highest gifts do not come to us automatically, nor are life life's most important goals un attained unthinkingly. 
We're not mere cogs, mindlessly, mindlessly revolving in some impersonal mechanic universe. We are persons created by a personal God, made capable of holding conversation with him. Next to the wonder of his being willing to talk to him and by asking him for gifts which he is pleased to give, to develop that personal relationship between ourselves and him is the chief goal of our creation. That's a lot of words. So let me just summarize that in the first statement in the Westminster Catechism. What's the chief end of man? What's, what's our purpose? Mm. Chiefs, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Thank you, man. Our, our purpose is to glorify God. That's, that's our purpose here. And to, to, not just to glorify him, but to enjoy him forever. So having read the first four verses of the disciples' prayer, I think we could be forgiven in thinking that God is so holy. We have to be careful what we say to him. That couldn't be further from the truth. God is wanting us to be honest in his presence, to be bold in approaching him. It speaks elsewhere about being bold to approach the throne of grace. That's what, that's what this section is all about. That man is knocking on that door saying, I need the answer. And that's what God is wanting us to do. So verse 9 and 10 says, I'll tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And if everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus is teaching the disciples, and of course us, that we are to emulate the boldness of that host. Prayer is a conversational tool where we have the ability to boldly approach God. That's the whole context of this section. But it's interesting, in, in, in Middle Eastern culture, and I, I don't know a lot about it, but what I do value is whenever I've gone or experienced it, it's always about food. It's always, you go to Amgad and don't you? It's always about the food. But it's wonderful because it's fellowship over food. And so this man, and, and it's quite interesting, you, you wonder, why, why had he run out? Why was he a little bit short on stock? Was it because maybe he had had a tough year? Maybe he'd had a tough month and he actually couldn't afford it? Maybe it was because he had forgotten? We don't know. But the point is, he knew that that hospitality was vitally important and he was going to do everything he could to make sure he had the supplies to host his friend. So God is wanting us to be bold in his presence and get the supplies we need. While that's not the primary point, to give the context of why the boldness of the man is important in this time period, you know, so the, his neighbor, so think about this. So the man didn't have the ingredients. We don't know why. We can you know, surmise a number of different reasons. But think about his neighbor as well. So in those days... They wouldn't have had a, perhaps a five-bedroom house, four-bedroom house, three-bedroom house, two up, two down, whatever it was. It was probably one room, probably had all their children and family in it, maybe uncles, aunts, cousins, grandmothers, possibly, maybe a few animals. So knocking on that door would have created a massive ruckus. His family would have been disturbed. He would have had to get up and open the door and you know, all of that. So, th you know, th 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 so the, man, the, the, the man who needed the supplies, he was... He, was, he had no shame in going and on that, banging on that door. He wasn't sort of really hesitant, sort of tap, tap, tap. 
clearly he was banging on the door saying, I have a friend, I need to fulfill my responsibility, can I please have some help? So that kind of builds this picture of what's going on here. You know, to give an example, so if, if I had a visitor arriving at my house in Northlea, and I'd run out of milk, sugar, bread, coffee, tea, basically the cupboards were empty, think about Kevin and Emma. Would they um, welcome the knock on the door at midnight? If it was a school night, Kev, or I'm not so sure, but uh, I know you'd be gracious enough to, to help me out. <laughs> but that, that's the idea. That's the idea is that you know, I need to entertain my guest. For whatever reason, I'm not prepared. Do I turn to my friend and ask for help? So this man, he showed zero hesitation. He was determined that he wanted to be that good host. And he goes to great lengths to make sure he's got those supplies. But what's the point of the parable? If we look at the man who is doing the knocking, asking, we see someone determined to do the right thing. He wanted to be a good host. He didn't want to be embarrassed by his lack of provision. And I think this is an interesting learning point. Sometimes we don't really know who might be landing on our doorstep. Hebrews 13 says this, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. It's in Scripture. I'm not sure I've entertained an angel in my house, but I have been richly blessed by those who have come in my house. They nourish us and feed us and give us spiritual blessing, but we can give as well. So that's one of the lessons, perhaps. But then we come to the application. So if we're bold to do the right thing and we ask God, surely God, who is gracious, will respond to those who knock or ask and seek. Communication with God is the right part of the right of disciples. We have that right to boldly approach the throne of God. We have that right to turn to Him at any moment in time and ask Him for help today, for that moment. You know, we're, 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 I have the privilege of being able to sing in a choir, and we're, we're singing Mendelssohn's Elijah. And I love the opening chorus. John's nodding, and Hugo as well. The opening chorus, help, Lord. What a simple prayer that is. Sometimes we need that. Help, Lord. And he's, he's, he welcomes it. He wants to hear it. But then we come to verse 9 and 10. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will open, be opened. And so these, these and it's interesting, and John can help us with the Greek on this. But these are all, um, pardon me, these are all present imperatives. What does that mean? It means that, it, it means that the requester is characteristically asking, characteristic, characteristically knocking, characteristically um, asking, seeking, and knocking. They're, they're doing it all the time. That's the, that's the force of it is that they, they, they just never stop. It's not that just one day we ask, oh, Lord, please bless my life. Thank you very much. And you move on for the rest of your life. Not at all. It's, Lord, help me with my daily bread. 
Lord, help me to know more about your kingdom today, this moment now. That's the force of it. It's, it's this urgency, always asking, always seeking God. With the, the expectation that you'll get a response. It's not just an empty echo chamber. God will respond. Perhaps not in the way we want, but he will respond according to his will and for the glory of his own person. So we can ask. Let's ask. Let's always constantly be seeking, seeking him, seeking to know who God is in a greater and deeper way, seeking to know who Jesus is and how he can be presently applied in my life so I become his hands and feet. Knocking on God's door saying, Heavenly Father, I'm desperate for your Holy Spirit now because I need his power and presence in my life to help me represent you effectively. Isn't that wonderful? We have this constant expectation that there will be a response. But the, the, the force of it is that we're constantly at it. I didn't represent it very well. We are constantly on our knees asking God in humility, but also with boldness, asking, Lord, help. You know, we have friends here who desperately need your help. I don't know each of your individual circumstances, God does, but it might be you're sitting in that chair right now needing the Lord's help. You can expect a response. Lay your heart before Him. Lay yourself bare before Him. Confess your sin in repentance, but above all, come before the heaven, the throne of the glorious God, because you can expect a response. You know, it may be that you need someone or some person or some activity to step into your life to break you free from what you are carrying at the moment. You might feel like you're trapped in a six-meter by six-meter room, and you need to get free of that. God will do it. God will do it. Ask and expect a response. Seek, and you will receive. Knock, and that door will be opened. Isn't that wonderful? And then we come on to the last section. What father among you, if, this, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? How, how bizarre would that be? So Jesus is asking the question, or teaches that, you know, what parent who cares for the children would do that? When we give them something, we give them... Then when they're asking for something, we give them something that's going to harm them? Who of us would do that? Who of us would do that? It would be unthinkable, wouldn't it? But he, what he's doing is he's using irony to point out the, the, the complete contrast. That even, even though you know, an unbelieving mother and father, they, they care for their children, they stand up for them. You know, I look at the teachers in this room and they see it. They, they're, they're, the mothers and fathers standing up for their children. Maybe not necessarily in the way that you want them to, but you know, they do it. They want the best for their children, generally. You know, even, 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 I don't want to say this, even government. We are blessed with government because it's of God. 
aside from all the politics, good government is there as an instrument of God to, to, for blessing, providing protection, safety, <clears throat> justice. Now, many countries don't enjoy that, but we do here, and we should be grateful for it. And primarily, it seems, that's mostly given from unbelievers, but God and his goodness. So he's, he's giving this contrast. So then what does he say? So if our natural parents are so gracious to provide us the essentials, how much more so with God, the Father, who is infinitely greater than our natural parents, gives us far greater answers to our requests than just the essentials. I, I love what Luke writes here. Just at the end of verse 13, how much more, how much more our Heavenly Father will give. Goodman says the following, Jesus is teaching that we must persist in prayer, and he assures us that the Father will give us the Holy Spirit. And that's the end of this section, that he gives us the Holy Spirit. And why is this important? We're, can, we're told directly here that we'll be given of his Holy Spirit. Can you think of anything greater than to have the Spirit of the living God and the resurrected Jesus residing in you. Can you think of anything greater? The resurrected Jesus, the glorious God, have given us, inside each of us, as we trust in Christ, He's given us of His Holy Spirit. Isn't that wonderful? God is residing within us, and He is in the church as well. We live in a time that's most blessed, because in contrast to the time in which Jesus was speaking, there were many people, you know, you think about Ezekiel and Joel, even at the beginning of Acts, they were saying, we, 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 we think something else is going to happen, there's, there's another person coming. You know, give us, and, and I'm paraphrasing here, and I, I think Rob might just correct me later on, but in Ezekiel, he was looking, they were looking for the Spirit, in Joel. It, is, it prophesies about the Holy Spirit coming and filling the brothers and sisters and men and women of God. That hadn't happened yet. Generations have been praying for that. And now they stood on the eve of that. But in our day, the Spirit is here. He came at Pentecost and has remained throughout and will remain in the church and in every believer's heart until Christ comes and takes his church to be with himself. Isn't that wonderful? The people of old have been looking for that gift, but it's living us since the Pentecost. So I think this passage is of immense importance for us today. And why? Why is that? You know, we're, we're living in a time where God has been rejected out of hand. beginning of Romans, Paul speaks about men and women not thinking it good to have God in their consciousness. And friends, I think we're seeing the consequence of this. Paul tells us that because humanity is given up God, they're suppressing the truth about him. Even though God is a witness to everyone in creation, you see those, I mean, isn't it wonderful? The crocuses are coming up. The snowdrops are coming up. 
but daffodils are coming up. I don't know whether it's too early or not, but anyway, they're coming up, and they're beautiful, aren't they? God's power in creation is witnessed to by every man, woman, and child. So no one, no one has an excuse they did not see God. No one. But they're suppressing the truth about him. They've exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship the creature rather than the creator. They've given up God. God who is blessed forever. Amen. Romans 1, verses 18 to 30. So in society, we see this around us, that God has given up mankind to their lust and impurity, dishonorable passions, debased mind. I leave Romans 1 with you. And as a result, the world is under judgment because of it. In society, we see this around us and the result of it. <clears throat> but none of us are without excuse because sin resides in us all. If you read Romans 1 again, I'm sure that we can all identify with many of those things. Sin resides in our hearts, friends. And that's why that moment of pause this morning was so important. Pause and reflect that who we are naturally is not acceptable to God. But through repentance, through the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, through the trusting in that precious blood that was shed that we've celebrated this morning, we can approach with boldness. We are cleansed. We can live a life that is acceptable to God. And it's because of what the Lord Jesus has done on that cross, dying in our place as a substitute, bearing the judgment of God against sin through His death, shedding His blood, rising from the dead, that everyone who puts their faith and trust in Him will have life eternal. We are in but a moment in history, but God takes the big picture. We have an immediate relationship with God as we turn to Him. We have full access into His presence, and we can experience the riches of blessings. Make sure you ask. Make sure you seek. Make sure you're knocking on that door. Be bold in the presence of God. Not arrogant, humble, but bold. And that's why we did this a few minutes ago. When we take part in communion, we examine our hearts. We put matters right with those who've offended us. But we can be bold. And as we've been learning about prayer, it's essential that we praise God. Think of the five things. Can anybody remember what they are? The five fingers that Craig showed us. Can anybody remember? Praise, thanksgiving, intercession, I can't remember either. <laughs> confession, confession, so important. Confession. <laughs> Petition, thank you. <laughs> I'm slightly embarrassed that I forgot them. <laughs> but aren't these good things? We can remember the five things. So we'll challenge each other on that if we remember. But we, we, can, we can praise God, can't we? Isn't that a wonderful opportunity? We can praise Him. We can give him thanks for what he's done in our lives in this past week. Even today, we give thanks for right now. We can intercede for others. There is need in this room. We all have needs. Some of them are pretty challenging. So we can pray into that for each other. Obviously, we use wisdom on what we share. 
but we can pray into it for each other. And that's why we have a prayer corner as well. That's why we have a prayer team. But then we can also confess. And I think there was a real palpable sense when we met together last week that we can confess our sins. We can bow down and acknowledge our failings. Not in a um, self-flagellating way, but rather a true and deep acknowledgement that we have failed. We are sinners. But God answers that. It's in repentance that we can feel the, the power of the work of Jesus working in us, and we can then have confidence and boldness to approach God. And then we can raise petitions. We need help. You know, I think about that, what, what uh, Mendelssohn wrote again, Lord, help. How many times have we needed that in our lives, in that moment right there and then, Lord, help. Certainly needed that this week. So returning to the passage, we can see the richness. So you, see, so you can see the richness of the contrast, can't you? So the man's knocking on the door. He's bold. He, he says, "I need some bread and milk for my guest. Maybe a bit of tea, whatever it is." He was bold. We see the fathers and mothers provide, you know, who, who, who as, as the scripture says, who are evil, providing good gifts. They don't give a scorpion when you ask for an egg. They give the egg. So how much rather that, that God gives us such wonderful gifts. God answers the knock. So we ask and we seek with an answer, that's, and he gives an answer that's richer than any of us could ever ask for, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why is it such a good gift? Firstly, because the Holy Spirit is God. He is one of the Holy Trinity. Secondly, Jesus spoken, spoke of this person, the Holy Spirit, and his ministry that was to be here on earth, that would come to those who love him. He, that is the Holy Spirit, would be another comforter. He would be an advocate for us. He would work on our behalf. He would bring us the knowledge of Jesus. He would give us the knowledge of God's immediate help. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And he also helps to sanctify our lives. He points to our consciences and says, mm, should you really make that decision? He works in our hearts to help make... It's, you know, Paul speaks about the renewing of our mind. How does that happen? I'm sure by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit has come to us from the Father and the risen and glorified Christ. And so it's God who has come to us. And for everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus, you will receive him as a gift to dwell within you. And by his power alone, our relationship with God the Father and the Lord Jesus becomes living. So this is the final point. In the world which we described earlier, church, it is a burning desire in every single heart in this room and who may hear online. My burning desire is that we have a vital and living relationship with the Lord Jesus, now and always. And as a consequence of that vital living relationship that we boldly commit ourselves to living our lives and flying the flag for Jesus. And in doing so, we bring the good news of the gospel to him, to everyone who crosses our paths. And I'm not saying that's easy, but we can do it. Friends, this world needs the Lord Jesus. And Jesus needs you and I to be sharing that message. And we need to be filled and rely upon the gift from the Father, the Holy Spirit. We cannot do this without his power. 
By his power alone, we can live sanctified lives. By his power alone, we can become like Jesus and his power alone that works in our hearts to bring, it works in hearts to bring them to Christ. But we must be faithful to share the name of Jesus and play our part in that. Paul unceasingly prays for those who've been sealed by the Holy Spirit that God might give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. Ephesians 3 declares as he prays that God would give them to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inward man that Christ might dwell in our hearts. Therefore, we must, says Christ, keep on asking for the Holy Spirit. Keep on asking. Yes, he is here, but keep asking for the present power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Are we driven by that utter in sense of indispensability? We need the Holy Spirit to fill our lives. Are we shameless and are we bold in asking God to be filled? The challenge then to us as a church, are we so conscious of our inability to please God on our own that we are bold in our persistence towards God for the gift that he gives to make those relationships possible, the Spirit? The shamelessness of the man asking for bread, is there conviction? If our conviction is right, you know, Christ is everything to me. I need him in my life. Be bold. All who ask for the illumination and strengthening by their hearts and the Holy Spirit will most certainly receive gifts from the Father. But the question of how much we value the gift will determine whether we go on asking. Isn't that interesting? If we just ask once and then pass on, do we really value it? Or do we constantly keep asking? How passionately do we, do we want to know God and draw close to Him? How passionately do we want to find Him in His Word? How passionately and how hungry are we to see souls released from the darkness of sin through the gospel? Are we shamelessly bowing at the throne of the Lord, asking continually for him to work in the hearts of those of our family who have not come to faith or stepped away from it? Are we continually before the throne of God, asking for the strength to be faithful in the middle of a society that clearly does not fear God? Are we on our knees for our young people who are facing societal pressure every day to conform to this world? The other side of this glorious reality is that we have a gracious and loving God for those that, that for those who persist in asking, seeking, and knocking, they will surely be rewarded. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says this, Yet among the mature we do not impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not, would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Now it goes on to say this, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Friends, the character of God, he gives the best of gifts. We see it in the passage referred to, the riches that God has prepared for us. He's freely giving in abundance. His goodness. Does his goodness make you hungry for him? Does the richness of God's mercy and goodness in our Lord Jesus, does it make our heart burn with holy desire like we read of those at the end of Luke's gospel? So as we conclude this series of disciples' prayer, we've only scratched the surface, haven't we? 
But what I hope you've seen is that prayer is essential to Christian life. Christ is the model for the character of prayer. Why? Because it builds relationship. We not only establish our relationship with God, it is strengthened by it. There's a provision of a gift, and by the way, the band can come up if you wish. A provision of a gift, we not only receive our daily bread, we are given a gift that's beyond all measure. The Lord Jesus, our Savior, and His Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to give us power to hear, to live for God. So we can be bold. We are encouraged by the Lord Jesus to be bold in knocking, asking, seeking. So someone once said to me, we don't want to live our Christian lives here as an explanation. I'll repeat that again. We don't want to live our lives as an explanation. No, we want to live here as an exclamation for Jesus. We want to live as an exclamation for Jesus. So let's lift our hearts in praise to God as we sing this final song, a nice old classic, To God Be the Glory, for His praise and glory.